0: But mean reversion is absolutely a thing, and it's core to my investment philosophy, and and that's how I count my paychecks, Dougals. It's all in mean reversion. You know how some people get paid in Bitcoin? I get paid in mean reversion, right?
1: (laughs) This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Dougals, that like to debate about investing content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. How's it going, man? Good. How about you? I'm living. I'm driven. You know what I mean? (laughs) I did get some
0: comments about your rap lyrics a couple weeks back. Oh, People seem to like it when Dougal spits, so
1: I mean, just let it rip. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know what to say about that. You know what I mean? But if the fans need it, I'm gonna bring it. Yeah. Can we kick, so, can we kick this uh this shindig off with some listener mail? How do you feel about that? Oh please, listener mail is my favorite thing ever.
0: And guys, it's been flowing in. I think I mentioned my dream of a listener mail
1: only show recently, and I think that might happen sometime soon. It could come to fruition. This piece is from Edward. Sent in a Goldman Sachs report that's called "Piloting Through." So Goldman, as many of the, the big banks, investment firms do, they put out their outlooks. And uh, so this one piloting through, I'll, I'll give three of the like the main takeaways that I have from this piece. Uh, and one of them, I just, I'm gonna, I love because it's it like hits at the heart of everything you stand against. So the first, stay invested. They're just like, it's oh, yeah. time, stick with it, stick with it. They also say they're like, US equities are awesome this is not their language by the way these are not quotes i'm taking but they're basically like, <laughs> u.s equities are awesome we think we're gonna get mid single digit returns this year 6.3 percent not bad loving it the third is they said mean reversion is a big fat lie again not not a not a quote from them that's that's that's, that's the takeaway
0: what is this nonsense Oof. what Yeah, Edward. Edward, I really liked you, and now Dougal's the way he's painting this. I'm I'm not so sure.
1: Yeah. So what they were showing was they were saying, like, if you look at something we've talked about a bunch before, like if you look at Cape, right? Schiller's a 10 year rolling out average PE ratio. If you look at that, we ended 2021 with something like 38, very very high historically. The mean of that's 19, and they go, you know what? If you hear out there that people are like that 30 is going to become 19 hogwash as you like to call many of the things i do uh mean reversion doesn't happen they they said statistically we did not see mean re- mean reversion occur so don't even worry about that
0: whoa
1: all right Split. um so Dougals didn't send
0: this report my way because he wanted to ambush me here and, and try and make me look stupid but i have done research published in books about cape ratio and one of the things that happened is uh the change to the county treatment which makes CAPE ratio seem, it's kind of art- artificially inflates it going forward. Uh, there's a lot of factors with CAPE ratio. And I have some research that's, gosh, it, I'm gonna get too nerdy here, but like the historical norm, basically what people will do is they'll draw a line to, I don't know, something like 1999-ish and say the mean was, or the average was X to this point, And then we appear to reach this new phase. You need to send me this report because I don't wanna I don't wanna tear it to shreds without reading the whole thing. But mean reversion is absolutely a thing. Yeah and it's core to my investment philosophy and, and that's how I count my paychecks, Dugals. It's all in mean reversion. You know how so, some people get paid in Bitcoin? I get paid
1: in mean reversion, right? <laughs> <laughs> Even if you if you take Cape out of it, right? If you take Cape out of it, they said like our statisticians have shown that mean reversion it's not right, a send so this report
0: my way and we'll, yeah, we'll talk
1: next week because this is basically like saying gravity doesn't exist in new york state like, does it it exists everywhere else but not in new york uh, state ask sandra bullock i don't know all right thank you thank you for the listener mail it was a, it's a good read i like reading uh outlooks like generally just to i pick up like a thing here a thing there uh no one by itself i think does a whole bunch but uh but i enjoyed it Thank you, Edward. Man, um, Goldman had a a really uh, fascinating
0: guide to the markets. Um, That's not the right term. I'll put it on the Twitter that I loved this week. And let me um, see if I can pull up a few things that was great from that. Um, First is they broke down. This is Exhibit 117, Dougal. They broke down total equity returns of emerging markets, which in 2021 were actually negative, negative 2.2%. But what happened there is emerging markets, excluding China, were up China. 5.5%. China was down over 20%. So I've been big on emerging markets for a while, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the GMO piece and why that makes sense. Emerging markets are really cheap, but China dominated that play this year. The, the crazy thing is, there's momentum everywhere but China, and if China flips, I think you could see a huge uh, year or two from
1: the emerging market pace. I also, man, well, look, go ahead. I throw something out there? Yeah. So as everybody here that's been listening to us knows, China wrecked my portfolio last year, like broadly. But when I, in my non-model portfolio, when I was uh, picking up emerging markets, I bought the vanguard emerging markets fund right and for the reasons that you stated because china is so dominant there i actually separately picked up india russia south korea um yeah. as like separate buys for for that reason so because i didn't want because china was something like like 40 50 percent like of the So you, you were trying fund. to
0: go uh emerging markets excluding china and you did it like one by one almost, or at least
1: diluting china not excluding yeah. china but yeah but diluting china um so it's a but china's so dominant i mainly say that because like i realized when i was looking at the vanguard holdings i was like china's so dominant here like i might as well just buy china if i'm trying to do this so since that i picked up uh russia etc and i'm glad i did actually the surprising piece
0: for me is i thought china as a emerging market i get that classification but i think it's borderline moving to develop markets. So that's another thing where it's it's probably so large and it's been growing that I wonder when it will cross that threshold. I'm not sure exactly what calculation or what yeah. methodology they use to determine something as an emerging market. It's probably a per capita figure, which is still fairly yeah. low in China. Yeah. But um, all right, the other thing I saw, we've talked a lot uh, about bubbles and, and different metrics. You You were just talking about Cape ratio, right? This is the first time I've seen this one. It's a breakdown of analyst buy recommendations. And so this chart says basically analyst net buy recommendations where zero, the middle of the line would be like half are saying sell and half are saying buy when this trends positively, like in 1999, the net analyst buy recommendation was about 20%. That's currently at 12%, which is the next highest peak going all the way back to 93 from 99. So this just cracks me up because there's so much going on here. What is it effectively says when the so-called experts in the space get really excited about the stock market generally, that's when things crash. And this indicator says we're at the second highest point since 99. It's a totally different way to look at it, but it made me chuckle.
1: It, it, uh, it goes in line with the whole, uh, you know, when people are greedy, get scared when people yeah. are scared, get greedy. Right. Um, yep. Yeah, I think I think it's really similar. It's like when, when you're at the at peak optimism or whatever. That's the way to say it, is it's a gauge of os-
0: optimism, but it's a gauge of optimism with the people that do this for a living and they get fooled just like everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Dip into the fishbowl. Hit them up. All right. Let's we're going to talk Peloton a little bit. Uh, first, I'm going to rig you a tweet. It says a bike with an iPad attached to it is down a lot. So when can the car with an iPad attached follow? You get the joke, oh, Do you yeah. get Oh yeah, we got Peloton and Tesla humor. <laughs> we got, yeah, we got investing humor, which isn't funny to start with. And then we throw in some, we're throwing shade at expensive companies, which is what I liked about
1: this one. I mean, Peloton is down something like 85 to 90% from like a year ago. Uh, and there were, People were hitting the Twitter sphere about Peloton and throwing they're throwing some interesting uh hilarity, I think, out there. That being one example, I saw something that said a year ago I bought a Peloton bike for eighteen hundred dollars and now I just bought all of Peloton for eighteen hundred dollars. And so um we try, I mean,
0: I try, I should say. To not really talk week-to-week performance, because I just think that's not how you manage a successful portfolio. Everyone's allowed to have their own philosophy there. In this case, I want to talk week-to-week because I want to highlight some names and what they did this week. Shopify, down 35%. Roblox, down 30%. Block, which used to be Square, down 28%. Moderna, down 32%. Zoom down 20%. Netflix down 33.5%. Snapchat 31%. Peloton 23%. Coinbase 23%. DocuSign 26%. And Dougals, we just talked about DocuSign being cut in half, whatever that was, two months ago. Amazon down 17%. Uh, 16%. Excuse me. Robinhood down almost 30%. I mean, that's just a select few names, but people got scared this week, it seemed and there was some uh volatility in the markets it it was interesting to watch because I think when we're at these valuation levels people like you and me always go hey is this the final tipping point but that's just that's probably just human nature but uh, man I enjoy watching it more than I used to
1: because mm-hmm. I'm ready for it it's we're both we're both very ready now I this is going to be a little bit of uh talk your book a little bit but it's like you know, the, the Dougal's indicator that I created that you call a bunch of hogwash, probably fairly accurately, but it's, uh, it's telling me that this likely is not the year based on historical correlations. So that, it could go either way, but, uh, yeah. but from my own psychology, like I'm just saying like, I'm going to act as if it's not the year, right? Like that, that's kind of where I'm kind of sitting yeah. and just a psychological thing. But something I'll throw out is that there are, as we've talked about, there are many people that have started their investing career like recent i don't know careers The they're investing life i guess fairly recently and this i'm going to drop some historical knowledge because i think it's important to put some of this stuff into context here this isn't even deep historical knowledge um that like basically this stuff happens because there's there's a lot of what's going on i haven't seen this before right but the nasdaq so nasdaq right now is down about 13 percent from its high in november S and P 500 down about seven percent. It's not that that's like a that's fairly nothing. common thing. That's right? yeah, that's nothing. Yeah, it, it's absolutely nothing. So to let me, I'll turn this into a sousson of a quiz. So in the last ten years, how many times has the Nasdaq in like how many of those years has the Nasdaq been in correction territory, meaning it's been down ten percent or more? Um, year. at
0: any point in the year,
1: yeah, entry year um, drawdown last ten years six nine yeah (laughs) so it's like so what is happening to the nasdaq right now has happened nine out of the last 10 years yeah it happens 90 percent of the time yeah so like that this isn't a uh, and i think in the s&p it's something like every other year is like the average of when this happens at least over the last 50 70 years that doesn't mean it doesn't mean that this isn't it and it doesn't mean that is it i'm just saying that just to say like this kind of stuff happens i'll drop a, a few other factoids here So. Nine years where it's been in correction territory, at the end of those years, it was up eight of those nine years. So when it was down correction, right? Six of the eight years, there were double digit returns. Even 2020 is a great example, right? Where you had that huge um, and swift, right? Downward spiral of the NASDAQ ended up 24%, right? Mm -hmm. And 2020, I know that's a unique year, but it's not as
0: unique as people think related to the markets i remember the freak out related to the 20 30 percent jo- drop that happened right around march and then if you looked at things year end i wrote a whole blog blog post on just you know what's your perspective like change your perspective because if you just looked at year end returns and were on mars for the day-to-day of 2020 you just if you left in january came back in december you just go oh this was a awesome easy year from an (laughs) investing perspective and if you live through it day by day uh march felt like the world was going to end from an investing perspective so that's that's what you get paid for that's why you have uh strong returns historically with equity investing because of the volatility and that's the tax it the tax is volatility so man i get pretty excited about this stuff but i hate to say that out loud because i know um not
1: everyone's going to weather the storm. No, but, but you got to, you got to stay going back to the Goldman piece. Right. And something we talked about a lot, got to stay invested, like stick it out. Well, analyze, make sure that look at your own philosophy, right? That doesn't mean stay in whatever, on whatever train you're currently on. It just means like be on a train. And we, you know, oftentimes we'll say that passive indexing has a place for the vast majority of people. But yeah, but, but stay invested. It's, it's really important. But it is hard. It's really hard day to day. Like when you're looking at some of your, if people are owning those, I don't know who would do this, but like, let's just, let's just say hypothetically that there was someone that had their portfolio and it was like Tesla and Teladoc and Shopify, right? Yep. I don't know who would have that portfolio, Kathy would, <laughs> but like, let's just say that that was someone's portfolio. Like it, it'd be, you would be, uh, you'd be in a lot of pain right now.
0: Alright, you went Kathy Wood. Let me let me just pull up the numbers because the running joke on the show, and let me put in the disclaimer: this is all research recommendations, not investment advice. But the running joke on the show with Kathy Wood has been about the fund that shorts her. It's called Sark. I put a few bucks in Sark the day it came out because I just love the idea. It makes me chuckle every time. Dougal's red. <laughs> We read the quote from the guy, at, I think it's Tunnel Capital Management that released it, and he said, oh, I have so much respect for Kathy Wood, and I really admire her, <laughs> as he created a fund that bets exactly the opposite yeah, of what exactly. her performance is. So, Douglas, you want to venture a guess. This fund's been around for less than three months. you want to guess, venture a guess at its return?
1: Probably 50%
0: or higher. Sixty one point three percent. This is the best performing stock yeah. in my portfolio by a mile. I mean, to do sixty plus percent in less—basically, hats off to Kathy Wood. I could not achieve this performance in my wildest dreams. When we talk about
1: the opposite <laughs> performance of your portfolio, it was—I've I've told you this before, but—and uh, I didn't put my money where my mouth was here, but I told you this before. There was last year. Sometime around either March or April. um, And I was hanging out with somebody who is a sophisticated investor. And they were just, they were saying, they were like, can we just talk something through? Cause I'm trying to figure out like what to do with money right now. Cause everything, as we've discussed, right. It's like, everything is at all time highs. Like, I don't know what to do with it. And I pretty jokingly at the time, I was like, the only responsible thing that I can tell you to do is to look at what Kathy Wood does and do the opposite. Like, that's the only responsible thing. And I was like, semi-joking. Yeah, and then and then this ETF comes out, and I was like, "Hold on." But. Well, the
0: amazing thing is, um, I loved. I, I've talked to you about the dangers of shorting and how shorting's idiotic. It, it, no, uh, let me walk that back. I always have to do this. I always get too emotional and I say something <laughs> stupid, not wise for for like ninety nine percent of people. But these these ETFs that have come out with inverse leverage um, are are a little different than. It, shorting a typical stock because it's basically impossible to lose an infinite amount of money and let me just give a little history lesson there so shorting is borrowing a stock and then promising to buy it back at another point effectively is that the i'm trying to think of a really simple definition Douglas. right so you know i could have done that with just tesla and i could have effectively got in at 500 bucks and theoretically Tesla can go to infinity on the upside. So that means my losses are t- theoretically infinite as well. Now in actuality, no, but your, you can get to the point where your losses take over your entire portfolio. And I mean, what's the quote, the market could be irrational longer than you can stay solvent pretty much yep. Yep. with these ETFs. I actually don't know how to manage the risk on their side, but if I only give them a hundred bucks, I can only lose a hundred bucks. Right. They don't have like a line of credit back to steal my house away. Uh, when, when Kathy woods, uh, charts go to the moon. Um, so that's a really interesting dynamic. And with this one, I agree with your investment hypothesis. The reason I only put a few bucks in it because Kathy wood is a human and I keep thinking she's going to see the light. And then the philosophy around this fund, like she could turn into a deep value investor tomorrow. And then I don't want to short that stuff. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I don't feel like there's certainty there now, theoretically, I could watch her picks every day and pull my money out of the short when I wanted to. But anyway, there's just no good way to truly bet against her
1: fund and think that her philosophy won't evolve to a place that's a little safer. Yeah. And we were, we were yapping about. Um, these inverse ETFs, I want to say it was like 2019, maybe 2020. I don't know we were having a, like we had a, like a long conversation around them about the, the same the point that you, uh, you brought up but that it's, it's different than shorting because you can only lose the principle you put in versus theoretical infinite losses. However, I will drop this for folks that, uh, that might be doing some research into them. The leveraged ETFs, and I 'll say the leveraged inverse ETFs don't perform in the way that you would conceptually think that they do. Because when I say conceptually think they do is this, like you might say, if this is a three X, let's say uh, inverse ETF, which means again in concept that it's whatever the performance is times three, yeah. that if the, the S&P 500 goes down by 50%, then I'm gonna make 150%. Like you might just do the yeah. simple math and think that's how it works. But the way that they, they work is that they're indexed like daily using derivatives against uh, and then rebalanced on the daily and so that 3x doesn't occur like i've, I've done a, a good amount of looking back at uh, when there are significant volatility times with like s p 500 nasdaq 100 whatever it might be and looked at the performance of the leveraged etf during that time and they are they are not correlated. like they, they are not even necessarily correlated and so i would not they are not long-term they're not designed for long-term holdings they are designed for short-term like bets the leverage ones if you don't yep. do the leverage ones then it's a bit different like they track a little bit more like mirroring because that's easier but just a little as you're researching if you're researching out there just like keep that in mind um, that they're not designed for long-term holdings they do not mirror the leverage ones do not mirror in that way so
0: yeah and so guys i mean this is uh Dougals and i like to have fun talk about interesting Concepts. If you're on Robinhood and you see something that's an inverse ETF, you should run away, uh, in my opinion. If you see something that's leveraged and inverse or (laughs) leveraged and not, you should just run away. Like it's not worth the the risk. The thing I did this week, Dougals, based on uh, what you mentioned last week, is I read The Most Important Thing by Howard Marks. And I've read, gosh, this might be my fifth time through. Can I throw some quotes your way? I just love this so much. And what you said last week about this being the perfect time to read it is absolutely on point. So here's what I'm going to do. And I don't know why I'm going to do this. This is completely irrational. I'm a value investor. I should not do this. If you want to read The Most Important Thing by Howard Marks, I'd recommend the audiobook, But why not get both with the whisper sync and Oof. then be able to flip back and forth? I will buy you a copy. I don't know why I'm going to do that. You hit up skippydougals at gmail.com. Now, I don't think I'm going to buy more than like, three copies but um i don't know i'm just i just want to do this i feel like this book is so good it's such important that i don't want the 13 to uh stand between you and enjoying this book at this point in time so Dougal's is that a first ever in the history of the show and and can you break down on a scale one to
1: ten how much of an idiot i am to give money away oh no you're not there are some books that I, I've like, just I will give away to people. And I think this is, this is in the investing, in my, my opinion, in the investing world, I think that this is one of those that stands up. I put it on the annual read list. And so this, I've given away, I've been given away this book, but like I've given plenty of copies of The Intelligent Investor away. yeah Because um, it's just one of those things where you're like, I, I just say like, oh, if you want to know, not necessarily basic concepts, but just like fundamental, like thought processes. Like, I think this is, a, it's a great one. The way he thinks about things um, are super just, cool. It's just so good, and then
0: he's he's incredibly articulate writing. Um, yeah, it's funny in the like hard copy book world. There are books that I buy ten of and have them on the bookshelf, and then I just hand them out to people. And maybe I'll add this to that list. But. Uh, that's the offer. If you're interested, if not, just go buy the thing. I mean, just trust us on this. We both read it in the past past week and have nothing but good things to say. So Douglas, are you okay if I dive down the rabbit hole with some quotes here and and let you break it down?
1: If we're going to go into animal related vessels, I prefer fishbowl. But it's up to you. Rabbit hole fishbowl. It's up to you.
0: All right. so you'll notice the quotes I pulled out uh, might have a value tilt. uh, But Hey, they're in the book. So my favorite to start off the book very early on, good times only teach bad lessons. Love it. I mean, what he means here is, is kind of what we just talked about in a way. Like, if you haven't seen a, a recession and you've seen something like Tesla just explode, you think the way to make money is to buy the Teslas of the world, not to protect against downside. He mentions, this goes back to what you are saying about people's investing life. He mentions that the seventies were a really tough decade for the markets. And because of that, there weren't many jobs for junior analysts and people, entry-level jobs in investing in the seventies. So when you talk about the 99 crash, what happened is a lot of people started their career in the early eighties and had a 20 year run where they'd never seen a huge correction. And so he says that that lack of oversight in terms of the investor psychology and experience that happened by not bringing more young people into the profession in the seventies contributed to the crash in the nineties. It just goes back to what you're saying before.
1: I love, oh yeah. I love that because even the crash that happened in 87 was a different kind of crash. Um, it was, it was very swift uh very swift kind of similar to a little bit different but similar-ish to what happened in 2020 except that it didn't get back to the high for like for a few years but it was but it still it was a bit different it wasn't like what happened in the 70s and it wasn't like what happened in early 2000s so where
0: yeah i think what he means there is like where the whole decade feels tough yeah yeah. that's a good point though about 87 so Um. This is classic Howard Marks. To achieve superior investment results, you have to hold non-convinced views regarding value, and you have to be accurate. That's not easy. Yeah. This is why ninety-five percent of people should index because it's really hard to hold a non-convinced census view that's right. Really hard. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. When you think you found an undervalued stock, so this is like Dougs. You've you found your next pick and you're ready to buy the thing. This is also great for today's frame of time. He says you should ask five questions. He says one, why should the bargain exist despite the presence of thousands of investors who are ready and willing to buy, to bid up the price with anything that is too cheap. So it's just like, why, you know, think yep. of how many investing podcasts there are and how many. Uh, people running financial analysis, like how come this hasn't already been discovered by other people? He says, if the return appear so generous as a proportion to the risk, might I be overlooking some hidden risk? Why would the seller of the asset be willing to part with the asset at this price when it will give you an exes- excessive return? Do you really m- know more about the asset than the seller does? If it's such a great proposition, why hasn't someone else snapped it up? That's similar to yeah. the first question. I think those are amazing questions to ask yourself when you're about to buy
1: the thing. Yeah, I think they are too. And they're good, like sanity checks for yourself. To be like, am I doing this? If a high level question is something like, am I doing this based off of like a story or emotion? Or am I doing this because of a fundamental belief that I have or, and belief that I have and knowledge that I have? Um, I think that those are like great questions to make you take a pause. Yep. The discipline that
0: is most important is not accounting or economics, but psychology, just Just really spike the ball. baby. All right. I don't want to do, I, I could go hours with this stuff. So I'm going to try and just wrap it up in three more things. So the safest and potentially most profitable thing to buy is to buy something when no one else likes it, given its popularity and thus its price can only go one way up. This reminds me of some text messages we had this week. You're throwing shade on Intel Diggles. And I want all the negative press I can get on Intel because I want people to hate the thing. I think that's the only way that um, there's potential and listen, I may have to eat crow. I, we're going to have one Skippy eats crow episode, at least every year and probably more than that. So we'll see how it turns out, but I love that approach.
1: That's that's core value investing read that book people read that book aggressive research advice subsidized research advice yes, we're we're subsidized. we're buying books yeah. from people over here How so let us know skippy at gmail.com let us know i'm gonna dive into the fishbowl and i'm gonna talk about Spax. let's talk about Spax, baby so, so so
0: excited and we got some lyrics and listen i looked i think it's episode 12 doogles did a whole breakdown a year ago on how this was headed for disaster, the episode's called something
1: like Spectacular Disaster. Yeah, it was episode episode 12. On the Path to a Spectacular Disaster was the name of the the episode. So go back, take a re-listen, or take a listen if you haven't before. So SPACs, they are Special Purpose Acquisition Companies. That's the SPAC. What they are, are holding companies that will, they raise money first, as public entities, and they raise money in order to go buy other companies. And so it's a way for them to buy companies like in a, basically in an easier or take companies public in an easier way, because you're the holding company, you're already public, you buy another company, you change your name, there you go. These have been around for like 40 years, facts have been around for a while. And they've gone, they've had various nicknames um, over the decades, but they became so super popular in this uh, in this hyped up, heated market here. So the Wall Street Journal came up this article recently and I'm just, I was reading this and just dancing, just dancing away while I read this thing. Uh, So give you a couple of facts. When I say they got popular, this is what I'm talking about. In the year 2020, 2020 people, $80 billion were invested in SPACs. And that $80 billion was more than any other year in the history of stock markets combined that's how hot they were it's terrible <laughs> so so then you ask yourself "Ooh, that's silly as charles Barkley would say that's terrible but <laughs> does it stop there no people it does not stop there in 2021 they said double or nothing 160 billion dollars in 2021 so in 2020 you had 80 billion dollars most ever in history not only that but more than in all other years combined in 2021 doubled it to 160 billion dollars now what i say i said double or nothing so they doubled now they're getting nothing so what's happening what's happening here <laughs> they, they, is spax spax have become not only like less popular like companies are pulling out and saying i was going to go public via spac, now i'm not but half of the spax from the last two years are now down 40 percent or more that's Half.
0: that's crazy so the market's been really good in the last two years also the, dude this article with a straight face and and it has for years the wall street Journal's done a great job of saying how this disaster is coming it says spacs, sometimes called blank check firms it says that multiple times this is basically <laughs> like because how this typically works is you find someone that you trust which i don't know how you could And you give them millions of dollars uh, to the tune of $80 billion. And you say, I trust you to go find a private company. That's gonna make sense. What, and the incentives that happen for the creators of these SPACs is if they buy a private company, they get millions upon millions, tens of millions of dollars, regardless of the performance of the SPAC, once it's ultimately public. So all they have to do is sell you a bill of goods, go make their tens of millions of dollars, and then watch you lose. 40 to 60 to 90% of your money
1: and leave. It's a, te- it's yep. just so terrible. Completely it's the worst structure you, you, I can you, imagine. You always like to, to bring up incentives, which I think is brilliant. And this is completely misaligned incentives, completely misaligned incentives. Yeah. From what you just stated here, let me, okay. I, there are a couple quotes in here. The quotes go back to a couple of few things that we talked about in this very episode right here, just around how many people have not experienced like a downturn, right, of, of any sort. Um, so here's a quote. I never thought this was possible, said Alex Vogt, a 31-year-old physician assistant in Grand Rapids, Michigan, of the swift share price declines, so the, the price declines right now. Then it continues. This is Alex. I feel like I'm not having any green days this year, he said, referring to days on which his portfolio rises. The fact that someone would say that shows you how used they like they're they're so used to just popping open Robin Hood and seeing green that like the concept of we are three weeks into the year. Or even if you take from when things are going down mid November, it's only two months ago. Like, I mean, if you, if you can't hold, if you you can't look at red for two months, then like, mm -mm. and we talked about it last week
0: NASDAQ in early 2000 is down 80 plus percent right it went down 7.8 percent this week like this is nothing nothing in the grand scheme of things nothing. um the crazy thing about that guy's account I might google him and call him up he's they said they were he was still he had made some gains like there's still time for him to jump ship man he yep. he holds pretty much nothing but specs get out now and be smart go get out now read the most important thing make some quality <laughs> decisions and you're good to go there's chance exactly and, and again sorry i'm gonna do like 40 disclaimers this episode because i'm fired up i'm not telling you to sell your stocks that would be a dumb idea i'm telling whatever this guy Alec, <laughs> the, <laughs> the Spac guy your average listener i'm sure you're fine this guy if you
1: have 100 uh Spacs, i will tell you to sell your stocks and sell them right now Uh, One last thing from, from this article, there's a sentence in here that starts some analysts now worry. I'll read the rest of it in a moment. Whenever a sentence like that starts, I always know that the rest of the sentence is going to be something very obvious. Like when it's like some analysts now worry, like the most obvious thing, like some analysts now worry that gravity going back to your point, like gravity is real. (laughs) Here it is. Some analysts now worry that the pressure to finish a deal before the deadline and competition among SPACs for the same mergers will result in overvalued transactions. Now? Wait, hold on. (laughs) Now you're worrying? And some of you? Like, this this sentence should say, it should start this way. Every analyst has always known that, dot, dot, dot. Like, that's the whole point. And uh, for the deadline point, because we didn't bring this up in the SPAC definition, the deadline is typically SPACs have a couple years to spend their money. And so we have dropped like a inflation definition on here a few times that's too much money chasing too few goods this that's what this is right if you have so much money more than money and more money than ever before in history going into these vehicles that have a deadline to buy something they're gonna go buy it and therefore things get overly inflated and those things it almost
0: guarantees you overpay which almost guarantees underperformance and and that's okay For the people running this back, because they still make tens of millions of dollars. In 2020, the people that really knew what they were talking about were screaming from the rooftops that there's no chance this was going to be successful. Uh, You know, the large majority of these. And we seem to already have proof, which is amazing. Like, (laughs) would it take 18 (laughs) months? (laughs) It's kind of depressing. But I'm happy to put a bow on it. Dougal's was right all along. I I haven't re-listened to episode 12, but... I imagine nearly everything we said came true, which isn't always going to be the case for us, but um, SPACs are a disaster. You nailed it.
1: What's next in your fishbowl?
0: Long story short, uh, we like GMO on the pod. They've been saying that they're concerned about market valuations for years. I mean, going back to 2017, if memory serves, but maybe even earlier than that. They're now calling this uh, today's U.S. equity market super bubble and think it may be approaching a three Sigma event. All that really means is they think when the bubble pops, it will really pop. So I'll put that on the Twitter. I don't want to be a perma bear on this, but I I will give them their advice on uh, positioning for that. So they believe in reducing equity, focusing on non-US value stocks, and looking into emerging markets. And then they also aren't a fan of treasuries right now, which is a, a really, I like that. So Dougals, if I can do a quick aside, I've pretty much typically hedged risk with long-term US treasuries because that's what Benjamin Graham wrote in the 60s and 70s, and that's what he told me to do. And historically, that's worked great, like from the 80s through the 90s through the aughts, that was a pretty good long-term play interest rates are so low right now that this goes back to the howard Marks book in a way howard says you have to be looking for value be looking for deals be very concerned about risk but you also have to understand what's happening in the mac the larger macroeconomic environment and understand that the same thing is not going to work forever so i can guarantee you if benjamin graham was alive today he wouldn't be telling me to hedge my equity risk with long-term uh, treasuries so i just thought that was an interesting point it's a good read if you don't mind being in perma
1: bear land it's hard to find places that you know tina strutting around again there is no alternative it's hard to find spots to put stuff now which is why you've you've been talking my year off for a couple of years now about international which i think is smart like looking internationally researching internationally because it's the u.s equity market is Many equity markets are also overvalued, but the U S is like out of this world. Second overvalued. most expensive market in the
0: world. Uh, Cape ratio 44. You can use the Buffett indicator. You can pick whatever metric you want. And it says we're near historic about evaluation. So
1: um, it's expensive. No doubt about it. All right. Back to your fishbowl. Doogles. I'm going to, I'm going to double dip into my fishbowl two last things. And they're just quick hits on some, uh, some news related items. So one is, this microsoft acquisition of activision is just big i mean there's like we can talk about what it means for metaverse or gaming and all that stuff but like it's just big like the fact that they're coming out they're buying activision for i think it was 68 billion dollars in c-notes 75 i mean
0: (laughs) <laughs> well, since so $75 billion gets thrown around, I think we get just for the cash that Activision has. It ends up being the 68 I mean, Douglas, initially I thought this was huge because they compare it to all these other things, like other Microsoft acquisitions. And some reason, I'm blanking on what those the other big ones are. Like LinkedIn was $26 billion, something in yeah, that something range. something like that. You know anything else on that list off the top of your head? I'm blanking right now. But so let me, I talked about perspectives earlier. Let me provide my perspective on this. I went from going, this is massive. I had no idea activism was worth that much to realizing what Microsoft's market cap has done in like the past 36 months, it's less than 3% of their total enterprise value. I mean, so it's like big, but then when you think about how how big of a company they are how highly valued of a company they are in a way it's kind of like peanuts
1: for them too it's weird i see both sides of the coin well but it's it's it is huge just objectively but your point is right i think that's my when i when i was dropping the c note lyric was mostly because like they're just doing it in cash like it was a wednesday you know it's like Like it's, it's like they found some change in the in their pocket that's what i'm saying because yeah exactly Oh, a couple, I, these, these aren't nearly as big, yeah. but a couple just came to mind. Uh, they bought Skype a while ago. Like that was a big one. And they bought, um, oh, I just blanked again. It's like the uh, internal messaging service for, for companies, but I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, it's what David Sachs started, a uh, Yammer. Uh, they, bought, oh, yeah. they bought Yammer yeah. too. So, but nothing like this. It's just like, <laughs> it's, it's so much money and it, and it ain't no thing. Like Apple could do stuff like this too. I mean, Apple could make, like a $200 billion acquisition with cash and be like, yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, just cleaning out my wallet. It's one of those, I was sitting on my wallet and I couldn't sit straight because <laughs> I had so many hundreds in the back. It'd be like, Oh, our financial statements are a little easier to comprehend now that we got rid of this 200 billion in cash. That was really, it's part of our returns. Yeah, yeah. Um It'll be very interesting to see. I mean, that's one we've been talking a lot. Of, I've been talking a lot about acquisitions for some reason and, I don't know that that's a slam dunk uh, from a regulatory perspective. I think there'll be some ups and downs with that. Um, also it appears Activision has a, uh, challenged culture that needs to be reformed a little bit. So who knows how that will all break down, but it's definitely interesting. It, It would. And to me, the most interesting point is exactly what you pointed out the size piece. Like there's so many ways to slice that onion and they're all like, wow i don't know how it'll end up but microsoft already has a decent presence in gaming and and
1: apparently wants to be a dominant player there yeah so that's so that's one that's one my double dip my second piece in is spice dao have you read about spice dao and, and dune no so these these DAOs, D-A-O's are uh decentralized something something organize whatever organizations but uh, basically yeah no i i don't whatever it is decentralized autonomous organizations we'll call it and so the the purpose of them is that you get a whole bunch of people and they can bring in together their their collective funds and do interesting things with them like we talked about constitution dow that tried to buy the rare copy of the constitution this one spice dow they bought this rare copy of dune right and this is a copy this is a this dune copy it was one that was made it was like 600 billion pages long or something and it was made uh decades ago and it's rare. And the estimated value was something like $15,000, like something like ridiculous for a book. So because it was worth like 15 grand, they bought it for $3.8 million, which is like wild in and of itself. But OK, the, uh, wait, the reset. Say that again. Yeah. So there's this rare copy of Dune yeah. that the owner thought was worth like 15 grand. Spice Dow came together and bought it for $3.8 million dollars. Oh so, so 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 that, that's one thing, but they're getting the reason this DAO is getting a bunch of heat is because they came out and they said, we're buying this. And what we're going to do is we're going to make it public like we're going to because the world should own it and we're going to um, create like derivative works based on it. And the Internet said, you realize you bought a copy of a book and not Dune, right? Like you, you didn't buy like the rights to Dune. You, you bought a book oh like you, no you i didn't know like, about this at all you know, man and oh. and not only do you not have the right to like make it public but actually dune is on like google books like someone could, could go online <laughs> and like a, so anyway so they've been coming back and like oh we know all the law it's not about that we're gonna create like nfts from its pages and i don't know all this other wild stuff oh, from come it. oh yeah it's I find this interesting because what it shows to me is that they're kind of like similar to what we, we've discussed with crypto, that there, there's a there there with the, the essence of what these organizations are doing, but we're so early with what they're doing. It just feels irresponsible, <laughs> like right, yep. right now. Oh, so you just sparked three other things for me. Thank you for mentioning
0: that. I wasn't aware of that story. Um, all right. So I don't know why I had this wild idea. I, I think it was Friday night. I was like, I wanted to look at some NFTs. I was, I was into it. Twitter just came out with the thing where you can like verify NFT as your profile picture, and it will uh, go to the blockchain and like confirm that you actually own that. And so I ended up on some crazy website where they have these pictures of basically different combinations of shoes and I'm a sneakerhead, So I was like, if I'm going to buy NFT, I don't want an ape. I want some shoes and this thing is amazing. I found the pair. I like, they were like, um, they're like lime green with lightning bolts. I'll send it your way. Diggles. I absolutely love the thing is only $41,000. So I'm going, oh. you know, like, like, you know, it's like, do I want, it's like a Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm getting ready to rearrange some finances. And then I was like, wait, 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 I'm a value investor. I took a screenshot and I'm good. I, I got it. <laughs> it's on my it's on my Twitter right now I love I love the thing it's like I still look at it all the time I had this moment of fear where I thought I might be jumping into the nft games and then I took a screenshot and I'm really happy about it <laughs> you have no idea how happy oh I am. my goodness oh you're too much uh yeah crypto wise I mean you talk about a crash I don't know what exactly things did this week but it's come way way down I just wanted to mention that because we do talk about that sometimes on the show so if you're talking Nasdaq stock performance the folks that have said that crypto especially Bitcoin uh act like gold I'm seeing more and more articles saying it acts like a very risky tech stock than it yeah. in terms of its performance its correlation than something that's uh, more stable. Uh, so I know how you feel yeah. about that. I can see the frustration on your face, Douglas. but just be aware. Um, Definitely be aware. those things have been very
1: volatile, and will probably continue to be I-, I saw a tweet this week that captured my feelings around this the tweet was remember when the talking point was that Bitcoin was an inflation hedge question mark, lol period. <laughs> I'll say one thing there. If you find
0: a coin or coins that you believe the hypothesis in and you have, I'll call it some lottery money. One thing to think about is something like dollar cost averaging. in Because in incredibly volatile markets, dollar cost averaging can get you more bang for the buck than it typically would. But Diggles is still rolling his eyes over there. So anything else in your fishbowl? Nah, cleaned out. Thanks for listening, guys. We're all over the place. You can hit us on Twitter at skippydoogles,
1: skippydoogles at gmail.com. Uh, where else are we, dougles? Well, we got one place to rule them all now. So if you go to skippydoogles.com, you'll be able to what? see dot com. Yeah.com. If you go to skippydoogles.com, you'll be able to see links to our Twitter, our Substack, our et cetera, et cetera. So just you can head over to skippydoogles.com and take a look. But before you oh. do that, please rate and review the podcast so more people can find us. Tell a friend, we're
0: loving the growth and, and we really appreciate all the reviews we can get that helps more people find the show. So uh thanks so much. Peace.